0: Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by co-founding pastor, John Ferguson, as we kick off the series, Do the Work. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays, streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. Today, I want to start this talk and this series by acknowledging something that I think we can all agree on. What is it? Relationships are hard. If you agree with that statement, say it with me, okay. Relationships are hard now, careful, some of you said that with a little too much gusto, and now the person sitting next to you is giving you the side eye uh, but it's true uh, relationships are not easy, and because of that, this might be the most important series of the year. If we'd take an honest inventory, I think we'd have to admit that the last few years have taken a real toll and Many of our relationships are simply not what they used to be. Uh, On the positive side, we've likely grown closer to some people and we've started some new friendships, which is great. But on the not-so-positive side, some of us are in open conflict with friends and family in ways we would have never thought possible. Uh, For others, that anger and frustration might not be out in the open, but secretly, we hold a grudge that's creating significant distance. And finally, some relationships for all sorts of reasons, have come to an end. And that always hurts. So I'll tell you what, say it with me again, okay? Relationships are hard. Uh, My guess is that as you say those words, at least one relationship comes to mind. Uh, Maybe for you, it's a, a parent who never did provide the support you needed. It could be a child whose decisions continue to break your heart. It might be a spouse or significant other who's become emotionally or, or physically distant or a friend or coworker who has let you down or, or just seems to be uh, com- completely unaware of your feelings. Truth is, all of us experience relational pain, hurt, and disappointment. Now, if you're like me, uh, when a relationship is hard, uh, my tendency is to think if only that person would realize how wrong they are and change, everything would be resolved, Right. I sometimes even rehearse in my mind a speech I would just love to give, just telling them all the ways they've wronged me. And I mean, these speeches are so good in my head, eloquent, just the right words. Anybody else do that? And sometimes our perspective is valid. We have reason to be upset. However, in this series, uh, we're gonna challenge one another to recognize this. You ready? Relational restoration begins with us. Relational restoration begins with who? It begins with us. In this series, we are gonna challenge each other to do the work of relational restoration. Of course, we depend on God, but God works in collaboration with us. We do the natural, he does the supernatural. I believe that's one reason the apostle Paul counsels us to keep in step with the spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. We do our part, God does His. We do our part, God does His. We kept and we keep in step with the Spirit. Now, a quick and important note here. I mean, there are some relationships where restoration is not feasible or even healthy. So we're not saying to go back to an abusive or toxic relationship. We are not saying that every broken relationship needs to be restored. In fact, if you're in a toxic or abusive relationship, we want to let you know there. There is help available. What we're saying today is that God is likely bringing to mind at least one relationship that you know is worth fighting for. Uh, One relationship that he so wants to restore. And the work of restoration doesn't begin with you and that person. No, it actually begins with you and God. And you might say you plus God. So let's start by talking about you. You're interested in that topic, aren't you? Uh, Most of us are interested in learning more about who we are, our true identity. And we often go about trying to find our identity in our interests, our jobs, our successes. Yet I would say the one place we seem to search for our identity more than anywhere else is in our relationships. I mean, after all, we are social beings, we need social interaction in order to survive. Even the most introverted needs some type of social interaction. Yes, introverts, you actually do need other people, maybe just in small doses. The problem comes when we base our identity or our, our sense of worth on these relationships, what these people think or say about us. And, you know, we often turn to, you know, people pleasing and image management online or in person, just hoping to create an identity that people will like. And it's utterly exhausting. And there's consequences. Uh, maybe you can relate to one or more of these. You know, we start comparing ourselves with others. You know, how we feel about ourselves depends on how we stack up. Do I feel better off or worse off than those around me? Uh, we often look for validation from others. We start to behave certain ways because that's what we think is expected of us. We may try to dress a certain way or talk a certain way. And we feel good when we're like acknowledged and we feel rejected when, Nobody seems to even notice. I mean, ever buy something new, maybe like a a shirt or a pair of shoes or a jacket. You go out, nobody even notices. not a word. It's kind of brutal, isn't it? Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt once said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. We look for validation from others. Uh, We also blame others. When we don't receive what we think we need from someone, we start pointing the finger, don't we? We blame him or her for not meeting our expectations. And finally, we often take things personally. When we try to find our identity and what others say or think about us, we, we tend to take everything personal. Even, even the very slightest criticism just affects us tremendously. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I gotta admit, I see every one of these consequences in my own life. And I know it's because I base too much of my self-worth on what other people think of me. How about you? You see, trying to find our identity in other people sets us up for all kinds of problems. And yet, too often, that's where we turn. Uh, Think of little kids. I mean, have you ever had a kid in your life who constantly said, watch me, watch me? Anytime they do something super exciting, like jump over a quarter, they want you to watch and notice, right? All little kids do that. Mine did it. And it's normal for little kids to form their identity in relationship to others. You see, the problem is when we grow up and we still need someone to watch me. We may not say it out loud, but we still look for someone else to define us. And don't get me wrong, wanting... To understand your identity is a very good thing. We all want to know who we are. I and mean, it's one of the reasons why uh, a few years ago, discovering your DNA through tests like Ancestry.com and 23andMe was all the rage. Over 30 million people took those tests. A uh, quick show of hands. All right, who took one of those tests? Yeah, I, I did. Didn't help my identity much. I found that I'm 95% English, whiter than white. Just made me feel boring. Now, my wife, on the other hand, discovered that her DNA includes Jewish ancestry, which confirms something we already knew that she is much more like Jesus than me. I mean, I was just hoping to get some interesting results, like maybe this pastor, Jay Spates. Uh, Jay grew up in uh, New Jersey, but was always curious about his African ancestry. So Jay took a DNA test and when he got his results back, he found out that he is a prince. (laughs) He lives in an apartment, doesn't even own a car, but now he's a prince. So Jay visited his long lost country, the small nation of Benin in West Africa and was welcomed as royalty. True story, can't make this up. One paper reported that when he first arrived, he saw what looked like a festival, hundreds of people dancing and playing instruments and singing. It took him several minutes to realize it was a welcome party for him. Can you imagine? Yeah, Jay, the pastor from New Jersey is now a prince. (laughs) But here's something crucial that I want you to understand today listen to this. If you look deeply into your own ancestry, you will discover that you two are way more than you ever imagined. Way more. Now, not many of us are likely West African royalty, but John, the disciple who is known as the disciple whom Jesus loved, reminds us that God sees each and every one of us as a child of his, a child of God. So, you actually are a prince or a princess in Jesus' kingdom community. Think about that. Uh, our family, we just returned from London a couple of weeks ago. We were there a little bit before the Queen's Jubilee. And so we got a healthy dose of British royalty. And it is pretty amazing to be a child or, you know, heir of the Queen. It's a big deal. But folks, you and me, we are children of God. That is incredible. Yeah, when we choose to follow Jesus, we become children of God. We start to bear his resemblance. We we recognize each other as family because of that family likeness. I have two children. They're adults now, and you know, fortunately, they got most of their looks from their mom, but they will admit they also have qualities and mannerisms that are very much like me. I mean, that's how it works when you're related. So so let me ask you, what kinds of character traits, mannerisms, and expressions do you think demonstrate a relationship to our Father God? What do you think? What mannerisms, characteristics, expressions do you think demonstrate a relationship to our Father God? in One of the Apostle John's letters to us, the family of God, he answers that question and he says that the hallmark characteristic of God's family is, what do you think? He says the hallmark characteristic of God's family is, say it out loud if you know it, love, love. John writes this, he says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God, our father. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. On the other hand, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Earlier in that same letter, John says that the seed of God is actually in us. Yeah, the seed of love is in us. Simply put, you see, as God's children, he is in our DNA, And the hallmark quality of God's family is love because God is love. It's not just what he is like or what he's about, it's who he is. And as his children, you see, we take on that quality, that family trait of becoming more and more loving. You see, that's how we are marked as being related to God and Jesus. So the most obvious first step to restoring a relationship starts with you and God. It starts with us finding our identity in him. Because we are beloved children of God, the God who is love, we can love others. A while back, one of my my favorite authors, Brendan Manning, spoke to our leadership at Community. Uh, He's a former Catholic priest and recovering alcoholic. And he will tell you that it was when he found his identity as a child of God that he was able to begin to restore relationships that he destroyed through his addiction. And he put it this way, listen carefully. He writes, living in the awareness of our belovedness is the axis around which the Christian life revolves. Think about that. Living in the awareness of our belovedness is the axis around which the Christian life revolves. Being the beloved is our identity, the core of our existence. It's not merely a lofty thought and an inspiring idea or one name among many. It is the name by which God knows us and the way he relates to us. When our relationship with God is secure, that gives us a foundation from which to relate to others in health and wholeness and love. We no longer need other people to fill our longing for acceptance and approval. We can be free from needing others to define us because God's love defines us. And then we can find peace and belonging and joy in him. This is incredibly great news. And it's absolutely life-changing. A recent study of 2,000 millennials showed that an astounding 80%, 8 out of 10, 8 out of 10 believe they are not good enough in virtually every area of their lives. They say they are constantly overwhelmed by pressure to succeed in their careers, to develop meaningful romantic relationships, to meet the expectations of others, and to maintain a social media presence. Pressure to maintain a social media presence. And my guess is millennials aren't the only ones. I mean, I've shared before that one of my many Achilles heels is my drive to succeed or to at least appear successful. And for me, accomplishing a task or finishing a project and being publicly acknowledged, it's like, a, it's like a drug. It feels way, way better than it should. But like most drugs, it's temporary and fleeting and lasts only until I sense that there's another job that needs to get done. And I'm pretty sure that much of this drive stems from fear and mostly a fear of failure. But you see, the good news that I'm trying to learn is that when we are rooted in God's love for us, we no longer have to live in fear. Yeah, that fear of you know not making a cut, simply hoping we're successful enough, important enough, or loved enough. Just a few sentences later in John's letter, he tells us that love actually drives out fear. John writes, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Now, let me say that driving out fear doesn't mean that anxiety suddenly disappears. Uh, Many people I know have anxiety and use therapy and medication to manage their anxiety under a doctor's supervision. There's nothing wrong or shameful in that anxiety isn't the result of a lack of love. What we are saying here is that a deep realization and recognition of our belovedness, our relationship to God, that's what gives us the freedom to love others. Uh, My friend and fellow teaching pastor, Carrie Latticer, she put it this way. She says, when I'm firmly rooted in my belovedness as a child of God, take this in. I have nothing to earn because there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. I have nothing to lose because there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. I have nothing to gain because there's nothing I can gain that's more valuable than him. And I have nothing to prove because there's nothing more to demonstrate about my worth. I am simply his beloved, his beloved. When we root ourselves so deeply and firmly in the love of Jesus, we can accept criticism. We can take risks. We can speak the truth in love. We can even weather rejection. It's still hard and painful, absolutely for sure. But when we find our identity in God's love for us, we can love without fear. Now, this truth about our belovedness isn't something we learn once and we're good to go. No, this is the kind of truth that you gotta keep coming back to over and over again. It's, it's like water for your soul. You can't drink a bunch of water one day and expect to last you for weeks. You have to drink water every day, many times a day. And you have to return to this truth every single day, many times a day. So how can we practice the truth of our belovedness every single day? Well, each week of this series, we wanna give you a simple tool to help you in this work. It's called a breath prayer. Uh, Here's how a breath prayer works. On the inhale, you pray the first phrase. And then on the exhale, you pray a second phrase. Uh, You can pray a breath prayer every day, even multiple times a day to partner with God in the work of relational restoration. Uh, This week's prayer centers on the work of identity formation. When you breathe in, you silently pray these words, God is love. And when you breathe out, you silently pray, I am loved. God is love, I am loved. Uh, Let's try it a few times. God is love, I am loved. Now silently. God is love, I am loved. This prayer can help ground you in your belovedness, your identity as a child of God. Rather than listening to the voices that tell us we're not enough or that we're alone or that we'll never be successful, we choose to listen to the voice who calls us beloved. God is love. I am loved. Uh, learning to live in those truths is the journey of becoming more of who we really are. We are children of God, dearly loved by our heavenly father. It reminds me of, of something Soren Kierkegaard is famous for saying. He said, and now, Lord, with your help, I shall become myself. And now, Lord, with your help, I shall become myself. And as we become who we really are, beloved children of God, we will be freed to love. Again, John, this disciple who was known as the beloved disciple. I mean, if anybody knew what it meant to be loved by God, it was John. He wrote these words, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. When we are rooted in the love of God, we not only find freedom from fear, we find freedom to love. Once again, from the great author, Brennan Manning, he writes, experiences taught me that I connect best with others when I connect with the core of myself. When I allow God to liberate me from unhealthy dependence on people, I listen more attentively, love more unselfishly and I'm more compassionate and playful. Who doesn't want to be like that? He continues, I take myself less seriously, become aware that the breath of the Father is on my face and that my countenance is bright with laughter in the midst of an adventure I thoroughly enjoy. Isn't it interesting This twist that that when I allow God to liberate me from unhealthy dependence on people, I actually love those people better. All right, so let me ask you, who was that person you thought of at the beginning of this talk, that person you'd like to be restored to? I, I can't promise you that reconciliation will happen or that things will get better, but I do believe that there is hope. And the place to start is to do the work of grounding your identity in Jesus. Bask in your belovedness as a child of God. God is love. I am loved. Let's close with that breath prayer one more time, okay? Silently, would you do it? Pray it with me. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you'd like to take a next step, head to communitychristian.info. If you'd like prayer, please text the word PRAYER to 331-226-1686, and a member of our prayer team will reach out to you. To give financially to community, head to givenow.cc. Thanks for listening to the Community Online Podcast.